Hello listeners, welcome back to Trash and Treasures, where we watch the movies other people throw away. My name is Vry, and with me as always is Dorothy. Hello! And in fine summer non-tradition, I don't know why I said that, uh, we have a special guest with us today. Uh, uh, Shannon Dapper. Hello! It's Shannon! Yay! (laughs) I I believe I I mentioned the now-concluded podcast that that you were on that I enjoyed. Yes, I, uh, that podcast, like your podcast, suffered from unwanted man syndrome, but unfortunately it was terminal. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's sad when that happens. (laughs) Yeah. Can't you, like, exchange them, or? (laughs) It was a whole infestation. (laughs) But they're here now, and I I am very glad. I'm back on the mic, baby. Oh, yes. Ready to talk about fantasy shit again. <laughs> yes. yes. At audience, we are very happy to have them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I asked Shannon if there was anything in particular they wanted to talk about, and they're like, I don't know, some fantasy shit. And I was like, okay. And then I found the most platonic ideal of the of 80s fantasy shit, which is nineteen Ridley Scott's 1985 film Legend, starring Tim Curry and some other people, I guess. Yeah. Um, hey, did you like Labyrinth but hated all that female empowerment? We've got them for you. It's weird that this came out sort of smack in the middle of the 80s fantasy boom and yet manages to feel intensely derivative. Uh-huh. Well, you see, it has about a billion versions, this movie, because it is a Ridley Scott movie. Ugh. But uh, it, it actually had one consistent writer all the way through, which was, uh, I, w- I want to call him Chris Holdor, but that's not it. So I'm looking <laughs> up his actual name. Yes, his actual name is Chris Hold the Door. <laughs> Hortzberg. Um, this movie went through like 15 different scripts, but Hortzberg wrote all of the revisions. So yay for him. And one day Ridley Scott came to him with, uh, with the book Fairies. 1980s book Fairies by uh, Alan... Brian. Yes. Froud. Brian Froud. There we go. Yeah, there was an Alan in there somewhere. I think I might have had that, actually. <laughs> did, did you have Fairies or did you have uh, Lady Cottingsley's Pressed Fairy Book? Because that's also by Brian Froud. I had, uh, I had like a bunch of different coffee table book fantasy books because my dad used to uh, haul paper to recycling and sometimes he would just bring home boxes of remaindered books so i have so much like 80s fantasy shit um brian froud is the father of an extreme superstar that y'all know go on oh well his son toby had a starring role in labyrinth ah yes he was a small baby in the striped uh, outfit that reminds me of something <laughs> Yeah, so maybe, th- technically this movie uh, predates Labyrinth by a year, but, like, maybe that's why you're getting Labyrinth vibes. Because Ridley Scott was like, I don't know, take this thing, make me a movie. I don't really have any direction for you beyond that. But yeah, Brian Froud and his wife Wendy Froud were responsible for pretty much the whole fairy aesthetic that uh, that was popular throughout the 80s. They basically codified that particular style of fairy which looks like for the viewer at home um 
sort of diaphanous, tattery wings, long, flowy hair, pale and sparkly and like or sheeny warty, skin. Warty little goblin men. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so basically, if you went into a mystic shop in the 80s or the 90s, and you saw all of those horrifying overpriced figures... Or postcards, if uh you could only afford postcards. Oh, no one could afford the figures, and they glared at you for for getting too close to touch them. But we all (laughs) looked at them. Yeah, Yeah. wedged in between the uh, quartz crystals. Mm Mm-hmm. It's getting... It's because of this guy, Brian Froud, and also his wife, Wendy Froud, who is... Totally famous in her own right. She designed uh, the puppets for The Dark Crystal, which came out three years before this movie. And she made Yoda. Which is badass. I was going to say, this movie is like the middle Animorphs transformation between The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. It really Uh is! Just just that weird half-kitty face, half-boy face. <laughs> the, the one that makes people vaguely uncomfortable to look at? Uh-huh. It's kind of weird that, like, it's the middle stage between two Jim Henson Company movies, and this is not one <laughs> at all. It's, it's the Ridley Scott movie that, like, is cult even for cult, where every so often a think piece will pop up. And it's like, legend is good, actually. You guys are just mean. <laughs> and then everyone forgets about it again. It, it stars Tom Cruise. I Yeah, baby and, Tom um, Cruise. Tim Curry. And S- Sloan from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Mia. Yeah, yeah poor, poor Mia Sarah. <laughs> Having to do a whole lot of nothing. Appar- Although she she's better off than she was because apparently the first version of this story that they sent the script to the uh, the producers was an a dark and edgy fairy tale for adults. Oh, <laughs> Hashtag boy. where where Lily gets she frightens the unicorns and they get shot by a crossbow, but it like scratches her. And she grows hair from the cut in her arm and turns into a hideous monster and has, like, furious seduction sex with Tim Curry Satan. Um, why? Why couldn't I watch that movie? <laughs> because the producer sent the, the notes back and were like, you can't have the villain fuck the princess. <laughs> because they're cowards. That's the only point of this movie is wanting to be the princess who the villain is fucking. Uh, okay, I do want that dress. It's a very good dress! And that scene was completely ripped off, by the way, for Mirror Mask. Oh, it is. I do love Mirror Mask, but like, totally ripped off that scene. Yeah, which brings me to, uh, so have either, did either of you watch this movie before we watched it for the podcast? I had I watched, watched it, it once. many, many years ago. Years in my ago. former best friend's bedroom, and all I remembered was Tim Curry, which is all you can <laughs> legally remember from this movie. It is required. Everything else leaves. <laughs> there are mini skirts. <laughs> so both of you probably watched it on tape. Yes. No, it was on DVD, I think. Oh. Um, I checked it out from the Hollywood this was video. Like, this was like 2006, 2007, so the DVD was well out. Okay, okay. Yeah. Now, this would have been around 97? Yeah, around 97. Because, And I know this because 
I rented it because I decided to watch a bunch of Tom Cruise movies. A mistake. <laughs> oh, because. Yes. Uh-huh. Because I had watched Interview with the Vampire. Uh, I, I know, I know that feel. <laughs> uh-huh. This is widely regarded as a mistake, but. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I would have been on tape for me. You definitely saw the theatrical cut, and I'm guessing, Shannon, you did as well? I have no earthly idea which Was it I two saw. hours long, or wasn't it? Um, I, it felt two hours long, I <laughs> <laughs> Um, I watched, when I watched it for the podcast, I watched the cut with the Tangerine Dream soundtrack, because that's Fuck like so yes. <laughs> yes. Alright, so... We're already in trouble. <laughs> All of us. We're collectively in trouble with the internet. Because we also watched the theatrical cut for this one. Because if we have it on DVD, it's in a moving box right now. And the one on Prime is the theatrical cut with Tangerine Dream. I I did watch the um, the director's cut a couple years back when I watched it the first time. And I kind of remembered it. In that every, every few minutes while we were rewatching the movie, I would say, I think this might have been different, but I can't remember really. <laughs> the main differences that you need to know, I guess, are that uh, the Jerry Goldsmith score is like Lord of the Ringsy, whereas the Tangerine Dream score is very labyrinthy. It has that, like, sexy horn that comes in all the time. I love that horn. <laughs> it's, like, people say it doesn't fit the movie, but I don't know what movie they it watched. Was, <laughs> it reminds me of my first job. I worked, uh, like, as a cave tour guide, and in our guide shop, we had this nature and relaxation sound CD that played all day long, and it had that same horn in it. So it got me, like, a very specific teenage place. I was like, I am watching this movie transported back to my teenage body. <laughs> that is a very specific sound, and I totally know what you mean. Meditation CDs from the 90s, while you're uh, sitting next to your pink, uh, your rose quartz. <laughs> well, there, were, there, were, there was a whole half a geode of amethyst, so I was getting all kinds of vibes in that gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> it's powerful. Yeah, but that, that very new age vibe. Yeah, I I honestly thought that the soundtrack was one of the best parts, uh, and the second best part was all the glitter. The glitter was like the true star of this movie. Glitter everywhere. <laughs> Nobody got an eye infection? <laughs> <laughs> the, the amount of glitter in this movie is the most 80s thing about it, and it is truly stupendous. And it's not like just on the sets. They just coat the actors in glitter. Yes! It's great. I feel like that's the. I, those I first noticed it when they're just like in the sunlight of like, oh, she has glitter on her, and then I was like, oh, oh wait. Tom Cruise has glitter on him too. Fuck! I just figured out what it is. They're vampires. Oh shit! <laughs> Fired. <laughs> that's exactly what it looks like, though. It really does. <laughs> And it's totally unexplained because they are humans. Yep, they're not even... Again, it has a very dark crystal vibe where it feels like they should be like the Elves. hobbits of this universe. But no, they're just humans. And Lily is a princess, I guess, who who is off to see the, the, the forest boy that she is in love with. But he's afraid of commitment like you do in Fantasyland. Because... Um. 
I guess Peter Pan. You have not even mentioned darkness yet. It's, yeah, well, it, when it's the good thing, you want to save it up. I exclusively refer to him as my notes as the only thing they caught him in the movie. Big D. <laughs> Big D is here? Getting bored at the torture orgy? <laughs> Again, Tim Curry is definitely just doing exactly the same voice as when he was Hexus in Fern Gully. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Dorothy kept asking when Toxic Love was going to come on, and I hope somewhere there's a cut where they've dubbed that in. (laughs) Apparently that really heinous shot of him with glowing green eyes and amazing glow-in-the-dark fingernail paint is exclusively an American theatrical cut thing. Because they decided, we don't want our villain to look too intimidating. What if we did glam goth right (laughs) out the gate? Oh, it was so good. (laughs) Just lounging at the torture orgy, not even paying attention to the buffet. <laughs> so, Darkness is bored and and pouty, but most importantly, he just all of a sudden remembered that he had that there is a nemesis that prevents him from ruling the world. <laughs> like he he he'd been napping on it for a couple thousand years, but he just off the top of his head remembered and was like, "Hey, my most loathsome goblin." <laughs> <laughs> Who speak? Who is truly loathsome because he speaks only in rhymes. <laughs> the worst. So go murder these unicorns for me, please. K thanks. <laughs> and, and naturally, at the same time. <laughs> no, there are two unicorns for a minute. Not for long. <laughs> The second to last unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and so naturally on this very same day, uh, Tom Cruise has decided to take his lady love to see the unicorns. And she fucks it up because she's a girl. Um, I, this whole movie, I was trying to figure out what the underlying themes were. (laughs) Mistake. And... All I pretty much got are, uh, evil is bad and good is good and women fuck everything up. (laughs) But also, they're definitely androids. Um, that's valid. That's fair reading. (laughs) Well, because the unicorn dream from the, uh, the true cut of Blade Runner is what indicates that Deckard Uh is an android and Ridley Scott is a hack. You're a fucking nerd. <laughs> I haven't seen Blade Runner since my film and literature class in high school, so a I good decision. Well, which know. cut did you see? Because then we can determine whether you really saw Blade Runner. I saw the one where my <laughs> film teacher didn't let us watch the sex scene. <laughs> good choice. Good choice. <laughs> Oh, you mean that very consensual sex scene where she tries to leave she... and he holds the door closed? To be fair, my teacher was like, this, sense, this sex scene is not consensual and I'm not letting you watch it. It's not good. <laughs> she was responsible. Yep. Solid. Good on that teacher. No, but like, here's my issue with Ridley Scott. Go on. Is the endless numbers of cuts. And I want to talk more about that later, but we should probably talk about the plot first. Yeah, yeah, why not? We'll get the plot out. It, it's really very simple, like... It is a fairy tale, which is why the title is dumb. Yeah. 
Yes. Because it wants to be like making statements about legends, but it's definitely a fairy tale, which is valuable, but is a different thing than a legend. (laughs) Yeah, that was actually one of the more interesting things for me at like vaguely remembering the director's cut is honestly, I found the director's cut really long and boring, except for the scenes with Tim Curry Satan and Mia Farrow and her excellent dress. But I felt like this version was a lot tighter and and flowed at a snappier pace it definitely clipped along and wasn't like i i got bored like like at the bottom of the second act where it was just like here's a fight to prove that the hero can do a fight and i was just like waiting for like the actual villain to show back up but like other than that it's like snappy it's a good like put this on for like a 12 year old in the background on a Sunday afternoon movie mm-hmm. yeah you get that point in the second act where like they've gone to because after after you know women be fucking things up with the uh, with the unicorns the goblins kill the one unicorn and take its horn mm-hmm. and they take the other one away to the castle where they're going to kill it too and then it will be eternal night forever Mwahaha. And, and for some reason they don't just do that right <coughs> away no, no, no. There has to be drama. Have you, you seen have... the amount of glitter? Yeah. You have to savor this death like a fine cigar. Because you're <laughs> evil. <laughs> and also they kidnap the princess, Princess Lily. And all of a sudden Satan has a like, boner for her. Uh-huh. And so naturally the hero must go on a quest to free the unicorn. I guess you could say that Satan is horny. Boo. <laughs> this movie like is very horny. <laughs> okay, but apparently poor Tim Curry was like dying under the initial costume because the horns were super heavy and they, they had to heavy. make him hollow ones. They it didn't occur to them to do that? No. <laughs> I was reading the Wikipedia article about this movie for more background and poor Tim Curry had to like be in a sp- spirit gum like removal bath for an hour and one time he got so impatient with all these fucking prosthetics that he ripped them off and got some of his own skin so like i feel for you too that sucks tim curry you were being the old the best part of the movie for your sacrifices probably a pretty good uh supercut of just darkness on youtube has been made <laughs> probably honestly that was like the only thing i really missed in this theatrical cut is it it cuts down like 5 to 10 minutes of scenes between tim curry and uh and uh mia Sarah, where where it's like more of him trying to get her to sit in the symbolic bubbling darkness chair and also the amazing waltz with the dresses longer i freaking love that scene <laughs> Yes, there's a scene where an awesome black dress shows up and does her makeup and dances with her till she puts it on, and then she's maybe evil. <gasps> because she fucked she up the unicorns, which shows she was sinful all along. Oh my god, it's an Adam and Eve thing. <laughs> god damn I it. Was, I was trying to figure out if, like, the unicorn was just like, is this just, like, a sexuality shaming thing? But, like, I'm pretty sure she and Jack, like, fucked at the beginning. <laughs> there's a point where they laid down in the flowers together (laughs) well i i did read this one um post somebody made about the changes between the two versions and it was very shamey about the the inclusion of that shot in the theatrical release and and how terrible it is that it implied that they fucked and the director's cut thankfully (laughs) remedies that that post was so mad Uh (laughs) uh-huh post was really mad (laughs) 
And, but then when we're not with Mia, Sarah, and Tam Curry, we're in this just... We're with the annoying friends. <sighs> and I, I suspect that is the part you're talking about where you got bored, where you're just at the bottom of the second act and they're like uh, in a what? prison or some Watching shit. fucking Jack run around in his chainmail mini dress. <laughs> <laughs> Like, all I could think about was that one vine about Captain America. Like, we we shot him because in the legs because <laughs> yeah, his, his chainmail miniskirt does not protect his legs and he is an idiot. Yes. <laughs> those segments are so long. And, like, it feels like one of those movies where, like... I think, again, I keep coming back to the fact that it's called Legend when it's clearly a fairy tale because this feels like the rhythms of a lot of very old fairy tales that I've read over the mm-hmm. years where the quest storyline involves multiple encounters where you become friends with these dudes and then each of them has a specific part to play in the unfolding drama and each of the obstacles must be overcome in a way that demonstrates the hero's virtue. It's not compelling to watch. Right. That that post also had many feelings about the fact that when when Tom Cruise encounters the swamp monster, he immediately murders it, as opposed to having to use his wits in, in and and you know an Odyssey sort of way. Which okay, but I don't care, and it would have made the movie longer. <laughs> yeah, that that part was really confusing to encounter because she's just like showed up and like I'm gonna eat you, and then he's just like die, bitch. <laughs> And that was it. <laughs> and then we're moving right along. And eventually I, we I, ha- I genuinely felt like she only showed up to be like, don't forget, women are bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And then in case you forget, Tom Cruise's tiny fairy friend. Paul's almost Julia Roberts from Hook. Uh-huh. Oh, I also put that in my notes. <laughs> Here's here's what I put in my votes notes verbatim. I looked away for a minute and Tinkerbell Loki promises Jackson pussy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes, you've accurately captured the mood of the scene. Okay, but can we talk about the creepy child with the voice? Oh. Yes, you 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 mean the small child actor that they redubbed over with apparently the voice actor who plays the the rhymy goblin. Okay, uh, that, that dude was, was 19 wild. at the time. What? Looks like fucking Frankie Muniz, by the way. Mm-hmm. I have to say that part and the costuming worked for me because it did actually seem unsettling in the way that, like, makes face stuff work. Of, like, oh, you're youthful, but sound strangely old and have weird, like, this weird visual disconnect from the way that you're, like talk like orating i thought that that worked yeah Uh. i made the mistake of looking into that guy's earlier acting career and uh it was a rabbit hole oh dear um he's Uh swedish and one of his first film roles was when he was 11 and it caused a lot of uproar because um they had him have perform simulated oral sex on some adult women and stuff Mm -hmm. wow it seemed like a real bad movie, frankly. Apparently it's deep. Hashtag deep. But yeah, it was one of those Wikipedia rabbit holes I wish I had not pursued. Yeah. You were you brought into the darkness. <laughs> Segway back to the, <laughs> okay, to the movie discussion. Nomination. I would like to nominate the worst line in the movie. 
human hearts are soft and spiritless as porridge. <laughs> Speaking of hashtag tea. <laughs> you know, human beings with their with their squishy meat hearts. <laughs> Una the fairy really wants to to bone Jack. Yeah, which is which is why she almost completely fucks them over when they're captured. Yep. And for some reason, she doesn't want any of the other annoying companions to know that she can become big or small at will. Because this women is never and their explained. Secrets. Am I right? I don't recall it being explained in the in the director's cut either. It's just one of them things. Like I, I feel like this movie had some interesting ideas about like fairy aesthetics because it drew from a very, you know, inspirational book. But then it it's kind of all over the place in its execution. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite pull off like, uh, like it really wants to pull off like you can have immense consequences for pres- like presumably slight uh, missteps like like they do with Lily, but then like everybody else is pretty much just boilerplate good like chaos. Like, not chaotic at all, just, like, neutral good or neutral evil. And it doesn't have, like, any, like, real weirdness with the fairies other than her, which is kind of half-hearted and ends yeah. up feeling like it's just happening because she's a woman. Mm. Yeah, and I, I do agree that they are trying to get to that whole sort of fairies are uncanny and not like people, even when they kind of look like people. But when you don't have them actually behave in ways contrary to, like, how humans interact with one another in the world, it doesn't really feel like it's it's played through. There is an additional scene in the director's cut, like, right after uh, right after Tom Cruise wakes up and is like, fuck, it's winter. Um, and, uh, and the fairies show and up and is like, uh-huh, you, you fucked up. And then there's, like, an additional riddle scene that that jack has to do so that he'll be forgiven which feels like it's trying to play towards you know fey uh abstract morality but it it's mostly weird it's mostly weird and it just is a two-minute detour on the film and then it's not carried through into later parts i thought for a second in that in the cut of that in the theatrical one where he drank fairy wine i was like and now he's like beholden to them and then that wasn't it (laughs) that was nothing (laughs) that was just setting up a gag later yep and then it's like also way more of a lost boys thing where like he doesn't want to marry like settle down with this girl because then he'll have to give up his fairy bros and all the magic in his life and die (laughs) (laughs) that's that's low-key yeah, it's there's there's all kinds of like problematic heteronormative elements to this movie. It turns <laughs> out. Yeah, and then the ending is significantly different as well because you know that obviously obviously we get to the end and and Lily is pretending that she has been completely corrupted by the darkness and that and she- all the fairies are like leave her, bro. Fuck her. Uh huh. But no, <laughs> he trusts her because their relationship is so well established Eh. and again it's very loosely sketched which is fine if it's a fairy tale right well and i also like i like lily's character arc in theory where you know so much honestly if you were dating this fuckhead would you trust him to come save you Uh (laughs) uh-huh 
Yeah, and well, and, and in abstract, I like that idea of, you know, it starts out with so much of her as, like, the woman's role in a fairy tale is to be withholding and to preserve her virtue. And then she actually is the one who saves the day by pretending that she succumbed, but it's actually her inner mortal fortitude that nobody believes in. But just the execution is so incredibly bad. <laughs> it's bad and I hate it. It would, it would work more if they gave her more credit at any point other than before that in the movie, where instead she just, like, wanders around and just gets, like takes whatever she wants up to a certain point and then is just like immediately like in the demon house and is like oh a shiny thing i'm gonna go touch the shiny thing <laughs> like there's not much there there yeah there's they're trying to imply that there's like spells there but it's inconsistently conveyed it's that ah. also be glad by watching the theatrical cut we've all missed out on the musical numbers Oh, oh, she sings. Boy. She sings like a Disney princess. Oh, boy. And yet Tim Curry does not sing. Yeah. And then, so she frees the unicorn and Jack is able to turn on the lamps, which blasts Tim Curry into spice. To spice. That the only place not voice. ruined by capitalism. <laughs> I, you know what? I will give this movie credit. I did not expect they were going to full-on have a wily e. Coyote ending for its main villain where he's defeated by a contraption and then falls and is like, poof! <laughs> he just falls through the wall into space which makes me think that this is in fact an earlier iteration of the simulation from Dark City. <laughs> Look at grasping at straws here, people. Uh, but then they unkill the unicorn. Uh, yeah, they stick the horn back on and it's fine, I guess. I don't know why everyone was so worried. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to unplug and replug and it'll boot up fine. <laughs> I'm alive. <laughs> and that I'm does not play. Alive. Rewatching this has given me a greater appreciation for The Last Unicorn. You're right. <laughs> Bride is not like the art in The Last Unicorn. And that one does have Mia Farrow. It does. Oh. And the dude. And the singing by Mia Farrow. And the dude. <laughs> and the two endings are the other biggest change between the theatrical and the director's cut. And honestly, the theatrical cut has it in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but the, the director's cut ending is so much more deeper. Uh-huh. And completely different in every way. Yeah, yeah. because at the end of the, the director's cut, Jack goes back to the woods and he's like, Nah, man, I live here now, but you can come see me tomorrow. Like, I'm not going to commit or anything, but, you know, I I'm here so that... And it's deep or some shit. Um, whereas, whereas the theatrical cut ends with a rocking 80s ballad. And they live happily ever after. <laughs> Except they don't because Satan is in all of them. And it's the best <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Oh, God. Just the, the overlay of Big D at the end. <laughs> laughing. It's so good. Over the happy ending. Well, yeah, Satan's in all of us. Where do you think rock comes from? <laughs> Satan is in all of us. Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny is fucking wild. Satan has touched all of us, and <laughs> I think if you ask... No, no, that's a different Jack Black movie. <laughs> all right, but you wanted to... So so that is the major differences between the two cuts. Uh, minor 
things aside, but you wanted to talk about Ridley Scott. (sighs) The fact that different versions, different cuts of Scott's movies are so drastically different to inspire their own separate fandoms and just blood rivalries and stuff. And the fact that there are all these different cuts of his movies frustrates and irritates the shit out of me because it means that he's not actually, he doesn't shoot for the film that he's decided to make. He makes the film in the edit. And then when he later has a thought about how he could make it different, he's just got a shitload of additional footage that he randomly shot that goes in all different directions. And then he re-edits it and makes it into a different film for a film as planned. He directs for three films and then cuts them together in different edits and then charges you for them. In so many DVD special editions. And like, if he were any fucking good, he'd create the film he wants in the edit before releasing it theatrically. And he can only cry studio meddling so many fucking times. Oh, what? No, but he he views executive producers as his partners in this, not as adversaries. <laughs> so he claims. And studios love it. Because then they can charge you for different cuts. He is the one responsible for the glut of director's cuts on the market. The different editions that are charged separately. You've got you to catch them all. <laughs> and almost every major film in his career from Blade Runner on has had this same situation where he puts out an allegedly finished theatrical cut and then comes back a couple months later with a director's cut which is wildly different in execution and contains scenes that were shot as different scenes in the same location at the same time he shoots more than once and doesn't shoot for a vision he shoots a bunch of different random shit and then compiles which I feel like is a very documentarian move That's not... Except that documentarians are working from real shit. Yeah. No wonder his movies are so expensive. Yeah. And I'm not asking everybody to be Spielberg, who edits in camera most of the time. Who has a single vision for how a film is going to be structured and designed. But what I am asking is, have an idea for your film. (laughs) Know what film you're trying to make at the start of it. Don't decide what the film is when you're editing it. If you're making big budget, wacky action magic films, those ones need structure. And I know Ridley Scott is deep, but he makes wacky action magic films. What? No, but, but, but if we say that, then that means that we're nerds. (laughs) I said, a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) It's just one of those things that gets under my skin because it shows how much leeway certain types of directors get in Hollywood. You could say pe- cis dude, it's fine. White cis dude. That other people are not allowed. You cannot just go out and waste film. Mm-hmm. And yeah. de- and ask for a mulligan on a film that you that came out and you suddenly decide was shit. 70 millimeter film this was shot on. That shit is expensive. And there was so much alternate stuff he shot at the time during production. Uh huh. Whole he scenes, shot both those endings. Whole scenes that weren't used with all those effects. It's a colossal <sighs> waste of money. 
Please. Sorry, soapbox uh, dismantled. <laughs> I, I do have to thank you because uh, my fries are pretty bland and I do appreciate all this salt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ridley, I feel like Ridley Scott is for sure the reason that we have 8 billion releases of every movie. I feel like he's also at fault for the, like, Ridley Scott is the reason that Snyder Cut conspiracy theorists exist. Absolutely. Well, him and Peter Jackson. Oh, right. But Peter Jackson is the heir to Ridley Scott on that. Uh Uh-huh. Clearly there must be whole different functioning movies somewhere in secret that no one is not using because Ridley Scott did it. Because obviously you just shoot an entirely different movie. And it's just in a can somewhere. (laughs) Everyone can afford to do that. But you know, the, the director's version of Kingdom of Heaven is a totally different film. Yeah, that's what I got a problem with. And, you, and again, you can only yell, the studio made me turn it into an action movie so many times when you're an action movie director. <laughs> oh, this cost $24.5 million in 1985. Incidentally, it made 15.5. Whoa. Hachimachi. <laughs> in fairness, it also made like. 23 and a half in in international box office where i guess it looks whimsical (laughs) Mm -hmm. and betamax sales this does feel like a movie that has a lot of potential to like if with with like a creative translation to like make it a lot more fucking interesting because it's nice to look at but like the dialogue is so sparse and fucking boring and annoying in the case of the awkward sidekicks Mm mm-hmm like you could, you probably could just redub it with anything you wanted. the The awkward sidekick scenes felt very much like Willow. Also, like as long as I'm naming eighties, this this movie is all eighties fantasy movies, as it is no eighties fantasy movie. <laughs> it is the ultimate amalgamation. It it is like I said before we started recording the store van peanut butter of eighties movies. <laughs> It really is. Like, it feels very fitting that it came out in 1985 because it feels like the middle of a decade. Mm -hmm. It it feels like it is just absolutely smack in the middle and somehow blander than all the rest of them. Uh Uh-huh. Because it's not enough in any particular direction. It's very pretty. Yeah. It's got nice effects, but there's just not a lot of there there. And... Well, and half the time the the prosthetics and the suits look really nice when they're properly lit. And then there'll be, like, scenes... You mean in the dark. Yes, I do. Thank you. <laughs> You've said the quiet part loud. Which, like, fair <laughs> enough. It, it There are proper lighting conditions for stuff like that. But then they'll do really harshly lit scenes. Where you just have these goblins standing in a field in Next the day. Next to Tom Cruise! It's like, oh, oh, you've escaped from Power Rangers. Oh, I see. It does look a bit like that. Uh-huh. You know what? I, I bet he would get along with uh, What's-Her-Face. They have the same horns. <gasps> yes, yeah, slumber party. <laughs> Cry, baby. <laughs> if this crossover fanfic doesn't exist tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one more gem from my notes is that I was wondering uh, like, if there was the amount and caliber of extremely horny fic for this movie as there was for Labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> my god. 
Unfortunately, I'm unable to report on that, though I do remember the horny labyrinth fic back in the day. <laughs> I mean, I didn't care enough to boot up AO3, but you don't really get an accurate reading on old fandoms from AO3. No, you it's have to true. go on, like, adultfanfic.net. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, where, where they shipped all the Back porn to off the- to after fanfiction.net banned it. After the Great Purge. <laughs> Oh, Fanish children, learn your history. <laughs> learn why AO3 needs donations. <laughs> Adultfanfiction.net was the saddest looking website that, that just gray on gray on gray. <laughs> oh my god. It's just trying to disguise the horniness with making it the color of porridge. <laughs> Soft and spiritless as porridge. <laughs> uh... Well, there are 41 fan fictions on uh, on AO3, if you were wondering. Uh-huh. And what are... Not a lot of Slash! I'm shocked as anybody. Yeah, but are there a lot about uh, Lily fucking the fucking That darkness? is the... Yes. That is the predominant. That's 14 out of 41. <laughs> so, you know, that's I, good. Um... Oh, it looks like a bunch of them are crossovers with uh, that Disney TV show. Disney Princess TV show, Once Upon a Time. Ah. Uh, I just know that everybody wants to fu- fuck Rumpelstiltskin. Well, I mean, since Rumpelstiltskin's nickname is a euphemism for a dick, I bet he can lay some rail. He'll teach you how to spin. <laughs> Upsetting. <laughs> Oh, they've imported some old fix. I can't. I have to. I have to put this down now. <laughs> Save that link for later. <laughs> God, I. I just feel like uh, if this movie came out today, there would be a lot of reader slash darkness fix. Absolutely. Yes. Probably a lot of size kink. I feel like that's just implied here. I. I, I feel like I am very. I am extremely surprised that. Uh, the, the incredible size kink community has not reclaimed Tim Curry Satan. Uh, that's true. That's a tragedy. <laughs> do people watch, the, do the kids today watch this movie? I, I didn't discover it at all until like my friend showed it to me as like a late teenager. Like, and I had seen like a lot of the fantasy movies on like cable as a child. And that one had just never come up. <laughs> and I feel like in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was kind of a meme as an example of sort of B to C grade fantasy. I wonder if the different versions are the reason it never came on TV. Because you would have had licensing issues with Tangerine Dream for the soundtrack. There was a specific whether... television cut, apparently, mm. which was mostly the American cut, but with also some extra scenes from the European theatrical cut, because fuck you, audience. Did it still have the Tangerine Dream score? I think so. Huh. Eh. Even in the extra scenes. Apparently, the director's cut did not have that extremely helpful text scroll over the beginning. Oh, that... That text scroll that immediately left my mind and never returned and had nothing to do with me understanding the plot whatsoever. Something, something, innocence. Something, I don't know. Yeah, like, I, there are, like, I don't want to get down on people who love this movie because I, I get it. But, like, the, the talk around how 
how the the director's cut is like the true version of this deep and nuanced and bittersweet story for the ages. And I'm like, did we watch the same movie or nah? It's it's fine, but it is a fairy tale. Uh Uh-huh. It's definitely got, like, Goonie syndrome of, like, you can't really ever appreciate it the same as you would if you had seen it at a formative period in your life. Yeah. Like, you can appreciate, like, the costuming and the soundtrack and, like, if you're really, really horny for, like, very bland, straight white couple, like, (laughs) fantasy, like, it'll probably, it'll probably, like... It's like a Kit Kat bar of a movie. It will, it will like make you feel less hungry, but there's not much substance to it. I was, yeah, but I spent the whole movie thinking of fantasy movies from the '80s that I liked more. I just constantly yeah, felt myself too. slammed back into Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, Never Ending Story, and Lost U- Last Unicorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it got like really wintry, I'm like, oh, this reminds me of Narnia. I fond feelings of Narnia from his childhood. <laughs> fond feelings or fond feelings? Which is... <laughs> I just read, like, The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, and I never saw the movies, but, like, I was like, oh, yes, this is, like, a really neat aesthetic that reminds me of something that I liked from my childhood that isn't this. Yeah, mm-hmm. always winter, never Christmas. It's really good at that. I was gonna say that this movie the is, swamp like... looks like the nasty farting swamp from labyrinth yeah. uh-huh. crossed together with the swamp of sadness from never-ending story which is still weird because again this movie comes out came out just slightly before those but and yet but it's just so intensely evocative of them uh, the problem is that that uh legend does them in such an empty uh kind of light way that they seem like a pastiche of something better (laughs) yeah like we're constantly like racing through these settings almost like checking them off to get to the next one we got a swamp we got a dungeon we got a forest fire world ice world (laughs) (laughs) god it it is it is uh like a really bad uh, first level adventure where like your princess friend that you've known since childhood got kidnapped. Go find her. <laughs> Someone was alleging that this movie was a an influence on Legend of Zelda, which source needed, but I'd also believe it. Yeah, I can't speak to that, but it does. I I do remember hearing that like princess is easy uh like plot fodder, <laughs> and it's like yeah. It's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would believe it. Honestly, I can see this being huge in Japan. Like, with a really good dub. Yeah, like if you... Japanese. If you got, like, just Joji Nakata to play Satan. Just don't get the same dub team that dubbed um, another Tom Cruise movie in Japan. Uh-huh. So you know how Top Gun is sort of mimetically the most homoerotic movie of the 1980s? Uh Uh-huh. Now, we all know this to be true. Uh Uh-huh. In the 80s, people were just unironically enjoying it as a heterosexual war movie. Like fools. In the U.S. When it was imported to- Just a couple of guys being bros. Uh-huh. And the sexy lady flight instructor who is definitely attracted to men. Uh Uh-huh. But when it was imported into Japan, Top Gun was obviously dubbed. But the dub actors that they chose to voice um, 
Maverick and Iceman were a couple of guys who were well known for working together on uh, Yaoi dramas, Yaoi and BL dramas. <laughs> so the minute it hit um, Japan, it was already branded as a gay flick. This is good and beautiful. <laughs> it's like somebody figured this out fast. <laughs> So I can honestly see this being popular in Japan. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say that that it's like if you if you wanted to like Labyrinth but like you're more of a monster fucker person, but like that still doesn't work cuz Sarah's a much better protagonist than Jack. She she's much better and more interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. but what if Sarah and Lily hang out? Mm, good. Good, good. Oh. Now, actually, I want that fic of just, like, 80s um, movie, like, fantasy movie female protagonists just, like, chilling in a support group from having weird experiences with adult <laughs> evil men. This is good, and I support it. <laughs> a crack ship is born. <laughs> I mean, I guess it is time to start putting together final thoughts. I, I was kind of surprised by how much more watchable I found it this second time around. I don't know if it really was that it was the theatrical cut or if I just having a better sense of where the film was going, I was able to just kind of hang back and watch it. Also, I was high. That helped. (laughs) Which, by the way, apparently, apparently they screened the the director's cut and a bunch of potheads in in the screening said that it was too long and boring and that's what allegedly why it got cut down to 98 minutes and you know what <laughs> you were right good job potheads <laughs> potheads you've served your country once again again you can only blame everybody else so many times for things being edited uh-huh no it was the potheads <laughs> they didn't like my two-hour epic fantasy movie <laughs> but like honestly this, this wasn't a bad watch this time around. I was surprised. Yeah, I found it inoffensive and somewhat charming. There's a lot of good visual design, even though the leads aren't given much to do. Yeah. Definitely do look up Tim Curry on YouTube, though. Yeah. But I would say it's a worthwhile watch. Yeah. yeah. If you like that sort of thing. What about you, this Shanna? Movie, I, I feel like its primary like place in culture is to be an artist alley at a convention. I don't know why I said that weird. A convention. <laughs> and uh, find a print of, like, a fan art of darkness that somebody made and impulse buy it for $10 and forget to frame it. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a sticky note with a happy face over the groin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, ho- I-, I sure hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, what are we even doing here? <laughs> you know, it'll be in the sleeve with the little sticky note over it. <laughs> so you don't get banned from the alley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the bummer of it is is this is a this is very much a uh, this is on a streaming service type of movie, but it's it's not though. It's not. <laughs> I bought a used DVD of it uh because I didn't want to shell out for even a trial that i would have to remember to cancel (laughs) yeah it's not really worth that i think i got the dvd for like eight dollars or something it was like definitely sub ten dollars yeah 
And it's like four bucks to rent it on Amazon Prime. Like none of these are terrible prices for the enjoyment factor if you're if you're into eighties fantasy movies. Yeah, I mean I feel like if you're into eighties fantasy movies, this is worth a watch just to complete your like sort of survey. Mm-hmm. But like the the eighties fantasy curious type of person. Uh, there's better movies you can watch first. Yeah, watch watch some other stuff that we've mentioned at length in here mm-hmm. to see if you even like the genre, yeah. you know, before dipping your toes. <sighs> yeah. Tangerine Dream soundtrack is excellent. It's so good. It's so good, and I can't believe that that they're considered the shoddy replacement to the wonderful Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> like, the Goldsmith score is fine. It's fine. It's, it's more like pan flutey, right? Uh-huh. I will say that when I was looking up the DVDs, there were a couple different versions and I was confused about which one to get. And then all of the reviews were like, I got this version and it had the bad soundtrack that wasn't Tangerine Dream and I was so mad. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I gotta make sure I get the right one. I was very worried that we were not going to be hearing Tangerine Dream. That was like one of my demands for the version that we watched. (laughs) It's good. It's an important consideration. <laughs> Give me the synth. <laughs> just, just own how 80s you are, movie. Please. You are not a timeless story. You are very much of an era. You don't uh-huh. know it yet. That's okay. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Jack's kind of a lame hero. He's just kind of uninteresting. Mm-hmm. I feel like he and Luke Skywalker in New Hope are kind of very similar. Yeah, I I feel that. One of them was uh, teeth shower Tom Cruise. Just upsetting. I was very distracted by those big, big teeth on this dirty man. (laughs) Okay, but when I was a teenager, I desperately wanted his canine teeth. I mean, we all did. That's true. He does have natural vampire teeth. I just really wanted those fangs when I was a teenager. So good. So I have like very even teeth. But again, in this film, upsetting. Uh huh. Too much teeth. Too much. Well, you know, my favorite showbiz story relating to Tom Cruise that he's not even in. Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> Is uh, the Patrick Bateman inspiration was him. Oh, yeah. It's good. I really wonder what it's like when Christian Bale bumps into him at red carpet events. <laughs> I mean, what do you even do when you meet the guy oh, who you said had no soul in his eyes and just an empty grin? Oh, you know he's just really friendly. <laughs> <laughs> just really lets it slide in like a pointed way. Shakes your hand. Stares at you with his dead, dead eyes. Scientology eyes. <laughs> well, now that I'm sad... There's no soul in this gaze, but there are no fiends either. (laughs) Oh, God. Shannon, do you have anything to plug for the internet so they can give you money? Oh, gosh. I'm kind of between stuff. Can I just plug a podcast that I'm enjoying right now? Yeah, why the heck not? Uh, There's a podcast called Argonauts. That's capital A-R-G. Argonauts. Uh, and it is about ARGs, or altered altered reality games, alternate, I forget. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is, I think, the kind of thing that people who listen to your show would like, and that it is a 
deep dive on ARGs, which are usually, like, have a lot of horror elements and, like, uh, a lot of weird internet, <laughs> like, culture stuff. And uh, it's fun. Uh, you can find it on all the podcast places. Yeah, that sounds uh, interesting as heck. I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, it sounds like something I'd like to listen to, because... Args interest me conceptually, but I don't have it in me to keep up with them. So yeah, I would like to hear about like, them. Go through a lot of code and change like JPEGs into plain text files and stuff. And yeah, it's a lot. I, they did an episode on the sexy girl Max thing that went on on Tumblr not that long ago, which I had no idea was like as much of a thing as it was. I saw it happen for, like, a few days, and then it was gone, and it was this whole, like, week-long ARG that some teenagers ran, almost, like, improvised. It was really wild. And I didn't even have the energy to do the hard work in Gravity Falls. <laughs> let other people do that shit. <laughs> they're planning on doing a Gravity Falls one eventually. It's been on, like, polls that they're like, what should we do next? So, someday, you'll get the whole story. Someday. I was there. Uh, <laughs> all right well and presumably they'll do one for that new show that hirsch is working on the um the, the one that he's producing just, yeah 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 he's not the director oh, or the writer but i'm excited though yeah because because yes. more codes more codes that i don't have to solve because it will have a built-in fan base to do that shit for me <laughs> All right. Well, when you're finished looking up that very nifty sounding podcast, you can find more of our work by looking up uh, Trash and Treasures on SoundCloud or your podcast listener of choice. You can also get a whole and uh, if you leave us a rating or review, we'd really appreciate it. It helps folks to find us and it makes us feel warm and fuzzy in our heart place. You can also email us at trashandtreasures underscore pod at outlook.com. You can find us on social media on Tumblr at Trash and Treasures Pod or on Twitter at TrashPod. Uh, and if you come and say hi to us, we'll uh, give you a shout out on the show. Like, for instance, uh, the very uh, lovely uh, Caligo underscore cat who uh, gave us a recommendation, like a shout out when, when somebody else was asking for a podcast they should listen to. And that made us feel also warm and fuzzy in our hearts. So we, we are glad you liked us enough to, to wreck the show. And we hope we hope that they also enjoyed it or that they didn't actively not enjoy it. You know what? Sometimes my standards are low. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to get those clicks. Yes, the sweet, sweet clicks. The clicks of validation. Fat, juicy clicks. Hell yes. Well, Shannon, please come on again someday. This was a, a lot of fun. I would be so happy to. I'm sure that I could comment on other weird fantasy movies. Heck yes. Dorothy knows so much more about that than I do, but like, I'm down. <laughs> what are we watching next time, anyway? Um, vamp, vamp, vamp. I think it's Ghost, but I'm not sure can't believe that I'm so lucky as to get spoilers for a future episode of my beloved podcast Trash and Treasures that I love to listen oh, to. Oh no! Oh no! I'm going, to, I'm going to die on air from compliments. I'm a millennial. You can't do that. <laughs> so, I listen to your podcast like the day it comes out every time and I usually don't have a lot to say about it because I don't know shit about movies but Aww. I love it. <laughs> 
I get so surprised ah. whenever I have actually seen a movie that you guys do. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. Next time we are going to be uh, shifting gears dramatically, but we're going to have another guest on to oh, discuss two guests. Uh, to discuss Ready to Rumble. <gasps> WrestlePod. WrestlePod. Heck yes. A wrestling movie. Heck yeah, a wrestling movie. Oh, well, see, now that you're wrestling, now you've got spoilers ahead of time. You can like, you can see the movie ahead of everybody else. I won't. (laughs) I feel like that's everyone who listens to the show. We tell them, but we we could, we could just not tell them. It doesn't matter. (laughs) There are apparently some poor souls who have gone out and tried to watch all the movies we we watch. Oh no. I feel bad for them. Some of those movies are bad. (laughs) They're really bad. Some of them are actively upsetting. All right. Well, on that cheery note, we love you all. uh, And remember to take care of yourselves. Bye, y'all. Bye!